Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Good morning, church, and uh, welcome to our online experience. want to say a big hello if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. I hope you are ready and prepared to receive the word of the Lord this morning because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. We are in part three of our gospel-centered generosity series. We are just asking the Holy Spirit to enlarge our hearts and our enlarge our ability to be generous as we move into this Thanksgiving season, and uh, it's coming up real quick. And for some of us, Thanksgiving might be different. We might not be able to have that big old huge gathering. Some of you guys I know are going to just defy all the mandates in place and you're going to gather anyway. But whether we gather small or big, the most important thing is family. The most important thing is relationships. The most important thing is that the Holy Spirit is shaping and forming our generosity. On September 6th, 2018, Amber Geiger, then a Dallas uh, police officer, walked into the wrong apartment building thinking it was hers and fatally shot and killed Botham Jean while he was eating ice cream, mistaking him for a burglar. Moments after the shooting, she realizes that she was in the wrong apartment. She ends up going to trial and getting convicted of murder. And Geiger is sentenced to 10 years in prison for the murder. But in an incredibly moving and extraordinary moment, Brant Jean, Botham's brother, expresses forgiveness to Geiger, says she should find Christ, and asks the judge if he can get out of his seat and give his brother's killer a hug. The two embraced in the courtroom. It was a very emotional and powerful, powerful moment. I bring up that story because it's a great illustration of the text we're going to look at today. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 38 through 42. And it says this, this is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. When Jesus says eye for eye, tooth for tooth in verse 38, This is actually a reference from Exodus chapter 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19, and was part of the lex talionis, which is the law of retribution. It was the principle of exact retribution, meaning I get to pay you back exactly in the way in which you took from me. An eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, literally. Uh, The purpose of this law was to define justice, but also to restrain revenge. In actuality, it prohibited someone from taking the law into their own hands and murdering someone because that person 
killed or because that person stole uh, a donkey or a cow from them. It kept them. It limited them from taking revenge and the law into their own hands. Personal revenge and retaliation was never acceptable in the Jewish law. This is a very famous portion of scripture that most of us have heard many times, yet I would bet that most of you don't really know how to apply it to your lives. I bet as you read this passage, many of you, if you're like me, you feel the tension as you're reading through this. You feel the tension of, I want to turn the other cheek, but I, I at the same time, I don't want to be walked all over either. Like, how do I practically walk this command out today in my life right now. Jesus here is dealing with the idea and concept of retaliation and retribution. I think every human being, if they're being honest, desires to retaliate when harm or hurt has been done to them. Like if someone snaps at you, your initial human reaction is to snap right back at them and show them up, right? Or our retaliation can become a little more covert, like If a man has deeply hurt you in a relationship, you might refuse to trust any other man moving forward or vice versa. That is a form of retaliation or retribution as well. We live in a world where retaliation is commonplace, even among Christians. If someone insults us on social media, we go right back at them and try to insult them even worse. If you watch the news, whether that be CNN, Fox, or something online like the Daily Wire, it's mostly retaliatory shots of the other side, right? Politics is no longer about each side having a compelling vision for the nation. Those days are thrown completely out the window, right? Now it's about taking shots at your opponents and muddying their reputation as much as you can. The mentality right now, pretty much in everything, but I think there's a it, uh, politics right now, and even specifically, you know, the, the election, I, I think that's a microcosm of what's happening all throughout our country. The mentality is, if you're going to fight ugly, then I'm going to fight even uglier. But just as Jesus seemingly did with everything, he taught us a better way. He taught us a different way. And if we're being honest, he taught us a harder way, but a way that would ultimately bring peace to our souls and glory to the Father. A a way that gives Christians an opportunity to be a witness even when they are deeply wrong. Our response in the midst of hardship is often the greatest witnessing tool we'll ever have, okay? How we respond when things don't go our way. How we respond when someone comes at us in an ugly way. When we are being betrayed. When, when, when someone is treating us poorly. Our response oftentimes is our greatest witnessing tool for those that don't know Jesus. Verse 39 of this passage that we just read, it, it says, Do not resist an evil person. This statement can be very confusing because the way that it is worded in English seems as if Jesus is telling us to roll over and let evil people walk all over you and have their way with you. But that's actually not an accurate reading of what Jesus really meant when he said this. The word resist here in the Greek actually means to engage in vengeful or violent retaliation. 
it's this idea of a violent retaliation. It's this idea of taking revenge into your own hands through violence. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright translates verse 39 as, don't use violence to resist an evil person. Don't use violence to resist an evil person. What Jesus is calling his followers to do is to respond in a nonviolent resistance to evil. It's not that we should respond. It's how we respond that matters. Anglican priest and scholar John Stott said this section of the Sermon on the Mount is the most admired and the most resented. Most admired because it seems like the righteous thing to do, right, is to do all of these things that Jesus told us to do, but most resented because it's not our natural reaction or bent to turn the other cheek, hand over our coats, or go the extra mile. Our our initial default reaction, our human reaction, is to fight back and to get people back for what they do to us. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus goes through six important Old Testament laws and interprets them through the lens of the new life that he came to give. And so when Jesus says at the beginning of this passage, you have heard it said, he's referring to one of the Old Testament laws. And as you go through this chapter, you'll see that Jesus makes fundamental shifts without altering God's standards. He gets to the heart and attitude inside of us instead of just sticking to the external. The Pharisees especially had turned the Mosaic law into a set of legalistic rules and regulations that were very much a works righteousness, but Jesus came along and made it heart-based. He got to the heart of the matter. He got through the external. He got through the superficial, and he went straight through into the heart. You'll see this over and over and over throughout his ministry as you read the gospel. Jesus was always cutting to the heart of the issue because he wanted to speak to who we really are. And I think what Jesus is really getting to when he gets to the heart of this, in these five verses, I think this is what he's really asking us and challenging us about. What do you do with your power? What do you do with your power? When you have the power or even the right to get even, what does a Jesus follower do? When you have the opportunity to retaliate, do you take advantage of that because it's well within your right to do so? Or do you respond in a different way? What we need to understand is that Jesus is not giving us new laws to replace old laws here. He's getting to the heart. He's getting to our attitude. He's getting to our motivations. He's getting to what moves us and drives us in our lives. He wasn't just dismissing the Mosaic law and then putting in a new law. I think we need to understand that. These five verses that I read are a small part in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus in this sermon is actually giving us a vision of what it looks like to have a transformed heart. He's saying, if you have a transformed heart, this is what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom. And so if you're part of my kingdom, if you are one of my children, if you're one of my followers, then this is how your heart posture should be. 
You know, people whose hearts are not transformed by the love of God tend to see how close they can get to the line without breaking the rules, right? You guys, we all know people like this. People who have been transformed, though, think about how they can please and honor the Father. You know, when I was a youth pastor, here's what I noticed about my teenagers. People whose hearts hadn't been totally and fully transformed might know with their minds because they had been taught that sex before marriage is a sin. But what they would do is they would try to get as close to the line as they possibly could. They would ask, what actually can I get away with, though? I know sex before marriage is wrong, is a sin and all, and all that, but how close can I get? How blurred can I make the lines? How far can I go? While someone in my youth group who had a transformed heart Although they weren't perfect, they thought about how their relationship could glorify, please, and honor God and serve the other person. And that is a huge difference. So I say all that to say this. I want to give us a few thoughts on this concept of retaliation. So my first point is this. Retaliation never transforms the heart. Forgiveness does. Uh, verse 39, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Being slapped in the face was one of the greatest insults you could do to someone in ancient culture. And, and to be honest, it still is today. There aren't many things more disrespectful or insulting than getting slapped in the face than getting backslapped right in the face. That, I would rather get punched in the face then backslapped in the face because it's more of a sign of disrespect that someone would slap you. If you're in community with people, doing life with them, walking closely with them, it doesn't matter if you guys are Christian. You are bound to get slapped in your face at some point. Someone's going to say something that offends you. Someone's going to do something that hurts you. Someone's going to forget to invite you to something, right? And in that moment, are you going to retaliate and hurt them back or give them the silent treatment or tell them off the next time you see them? Or are you going to forgive them and give them another opportunity to hurt you? Because that is what vulnerability does because we're all broken people. We're all flawed people. We, we all have a sinful nature. So we are, if we're doing life with people closely in community, we are going to hurt them. And so when we forgive somebody, what we're essentially saying is, I forgive you and I'm going to talk about what happened and what hurt me, but I'm ultimately going to be vulnerable with you and I'm going to give you another opportunity to hurt me because we're in relationship with one another. And so we have to make that choice. We have to make that decision, right? And then once we do that, we've got to just lay it down. So if someone slaps you in the right cheek, there were a couple of options of what you could do. A, you can hit them back, or even worse, you could keep hitting them back so that you could prove to them that they will never touch you again. Or B, option B, you can get slapped in the face and just take it with your head down and, and say, I must have deserved it, or there's nothing I can do here. I'm just going to take it, um, and, and that's it. Or option C, Jesus gives us another way. You can get slapped in the face, right? Boom, slapped in the face. You can get back up 
you can look at them in the eye and then out of your own free will, you can turn the other cheek. Now, option three is not born out of this weakness, but is born out of an inner strength from the Holy Spirit to exercise self-control and an extravagant love with the hopes that the anger, hatred, and frustration that they are operating in would be reversed and broken. We don't just do this because we are doormats. What we are doing is by the spirit of the living God, we're trying to break this pattern, this cycle of violence that permeates our culture. The second thought about retaliation is this. Retaliation never transforms the heart. Giving grace does. As we go on in this passage, Jesus says, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Giving grace looks like being generous even when someone's taking advantage of your kindness. That's what giving grace, undeserved favor, looks like. That even when someone's taking advantage of you, you are still being generous towards that person. You are still walking in love towards that person person. In the ancient world, a person would have a shirt and then they would have a long coat that would go over it as well. And that coat that they would wear over their tunic or their shirt would serve as protection from the elements during the day. But at night for poor people, it would serve as a blanket as well. So they wouldn't freeze to death. Because of this, a creditor could not take a poor person's outer coat. Yet Jesus tells his followers that if someone is trying to literally sue the shirt off your back, then give them your outer coat as well and trust him to provide for you. Again, you have a few different options here if someone was trying to sue you for your coat. A, you could lawyer up and try to sue them and take the coat off their back. Or B, you could simply give your shirt to the one suing. Or C, a third option or a third way to look at this is that you look at the person that's trying to take everything from you and willingly give them your shirt and then willingly take off your coat and give it to them as well with the intention that it might break the pattern and the cycle of greed in their lives and that they might see the love of Jesus flowing through. You're not just saying, I have no choice here. You're not just laying down as a doormat and letting people walk over. No, you're saying, you want my coat because of the love of Jesus in me and because I trust him to take care of me because I am not of this world? I am not only going to give you my shirt, I'm going to also give you my coat as well because you didn't give me this coat and you can't take this away. God is my ultimate provider and that's what we're that's the statement we're making here. And then the the third thought about retaliation is this. Retaliation never transformed the heart going the extra mile does. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Someone once said, there are no traffic jams along the second mile. That is a very true statement. People aren't standing in line, lifting up their hands for this one, right? This is a very difficult thing to do. This is one of the more difficult teachings of Jesus because no one wants to actually follow it because it's difficult and uncomfortable and it goes against our flesh. It goes against everything inside of us. 
the Romans, they ruled in Israel during the time of Jesus, and there were soldiers everywhere. And these soldiers had a right to make a Jew just drop everything they were doing and carry their things up to a mile. That's why the Roman soldier made Simon the uh, of Cyrene carry Jesus's cross when he didn't have the strength to carry it any longer. And so by law, they can make a Jew carry it for one mile. Again, the options are right there in front of us if this happened to you. A, refuse to do what the soldier commanded and fight back with force like many Jewish rebel groups did during that time. B, you can carry the soldier's stuff up to one mile, all the while being bitter, resentful, and being angry about it, right, in order to fulfill the minimum requirement. Or the third way that Jesus proposed was, once you get to that one mile marker, you don't say anything, you don't wait for him to ask, you don't wait for for him to do anything, you just keep walking. You just keep going. You go beyond what was required of you. You you go the second mile. You go the extra mile. And maybe, just maybe, that would cause a curiosity in the soldier about the motivation as to why you would do this. Because naturally, most Jews, when they were asked to carry something, they probably were frustrated. They were probably angry. They probably showed their bitterness. But if a Christ follower was forced to do this and they went past that first mile, maybe, just maybe, it would stir up some sort of curiosity in that soldier's mind. Maybe, just maybe, a conversation could ensue between you and the soldier. Maybe, just maybe, this would soften the heart of the soldier toward you. Maybe, just maybe, the extravagant love of Jesus would pierce the heart of this soldier through your selfless act by going beyond the requirements, by going the second mile, a road that is very lonely, a road that has no traffic jams on it, but a road that Jesus calls us to go on. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul says, if you feed your enemy and give your enemy something to drink, you would heap burning coals on their head. You're probably right now thinking, all right, this sounds good. It sounds like revenge. That sounds like some sort of vengeful act to heap burning hot coals on someone's head, but not so fast. During those times, the way you would heat up your home was through fire. You would have this sort of fireplace, and that's how you would heat up your home. And sometimes a person's fire went out and needed to borrow some live coals to restart their fire. And giving a person coals in a pan to carry home on his head was actually a neighborly kind act. It made friends, not enemies. And that is the imagery that Paul is using to reinforce what Jesus said. 
So to retaliate in violence or hatred to people who hurt us or take advantage of us or insult us is not the way of Jesus. Jesus calls us to respond in extraordinary love, a love that can only come from him, a love that can only come from a transformed heart. Jesus is giving us specific illustrations here of an overarching principle in his kingdom. Generous love or gospel-centered generosity rooted in Christ's love. A selfless love, a Christ-honoring love, a a love that can melt the heart of the most vengeful, evil person. And in Romans 12, Paul echoes his master's heart. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. You know, just because a, a family member insults you, at Thanksgiving dinner, and I am just warning you right now, you have a few days before Thanksgiving, a family member, maybe a crazy aunt, maybe your mom or dad, maybe your brother or sister, they will insult you during Thanksgiving. They will say something that makes you mad. They will do something that makes you mad. And just because they do that does not give us the right to turn around and get them back for it, right? That's not the way of Jesus. You don't need to lash back at someone on social media that lashed out on you no matter how bad you want to. And there have been many times over the last few months that I have wanted to so badly lash out on people on social media when I see them posting something that's ridiculous, when I see them posting something in in anger or in an insulting fashion. Everything in me wants to just lash back, but I got to say, you know what? I'm called not to retaliate. I don't want to type something that I'm going to regret later. So you know what? I'm going to just let it go. Paul says in these verses here, if it's up to you, live at peace with everyone, not just the people that agree with you, not just the people that have the same views as you, not just the people that look like you. But he says, if it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. Don't provoke people to anger. He says, don't take revenge. And then the last part of this passage in Romans 12 is the most powerful part. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He doesn't say overcome evil by retaliating. He doesn't say overcome evil by using your power. He says, overcome evil with good. Now, when we retaliate, what is really happening is that we are allowing ourselves to be overcome by evil. We are being driven by our flesh. We are being driven by our pride. We are being driven by our sinful, fleshly nature. We are playing into the hands of the enemy where a bitter root can grow into a giant tree that will ultimately poison the soul. Martin Luther King Jr., in one of his most memorable sermons, said this, Returning hate for hate multiplies hate. That is so true. Returning hate for hate doesn't still hate in the other person. It multiplies that hate. He goes on to say, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Here's the deeper question this morning. Can God trust you to not retaliate? 
Can your heavenly father, can your master trust you to not retaliate? Can God trust you to be his representative here on earth in the midst of injustice, evil, and darkness? Because no one's heart truly changes because we retaliate in anger or violence towards them. Let, let's just be honest. That never proves the point. That When we retaliate in anger, when we try to one-up someone, nobody's ever like, you know what? You're right. No, it just creates more animosity and it creates more of a cycle of violence. It creates more of a cycle of hatred. And so we have to, as Christ followers, we have to be different. We have to live differently. We have to speak differently. And that only happens if our heart is transformed by Christ. It's when we exemplify love that people's hearts are truly transformed. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Have you ever absorbed someone else's anger towards you and responded back in love? Have you ever had to do that? The truth is, is that it still hurts. When we absorb someone, their anger, their vitriol towards us, and we respond in a selfless love, it still hurts us. It still offends us. It still hurts our feelings. And we're not absolved from any of the pain, but you know what you're doing is honoring God and being a good witness for the sake of the gospel. And that is the most important thing for a believer. Our privilege as Christ followers is to lead others to him, not by force, but through Christ-centered, extravagant love. Our job as followers of Jesus is not to seek revenge or retaliate. That's not our job. God will take care of that in his timing and in his wisdom. Our job, is to express and show an extravagant, selfless love. There was a prominent pastor that recently got their car stolen, and it was later found abandoned somewhere, and he put out a video on his personal social media platform, and he said that he loved the people that stole his car, and he even thanked them for abandoning it and not keeping it. And he said, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. If there's any way that you're watching for some reason... I want to make a deal for you. If you will reveal who you were that stole my car, I will give you a position to intern at my church for three months, and I will personally mentor you and pour into your life. Now, I don't know if they ended up taking him up on that offer, but this pastor could have easily had angry or resentful thoughts towards these people and just not said anything and not reached out at all but he put out an olive branch and he gave them an opportunity to enter into his life, even though he had no obligation to or need to. They had taken from him, but he did that because he was trying to exemplify a Christian love. The story that I mentioned at the beginning of my message about Brent Jean is a beautiful picture, an example of non-retaliatory love. He had an opportunity to tear the murderer of his brother down and communicate his hatred, pain, and anger towards her. And everyone in the world watching would have totally understood and agreed with all of that. But instead, he chose to forgive her and speak life over her. He chose to absorb that pain 
He chose to absorb that evil and then release in turn and release love and forgiveness into that woman's life. He chose to get out of his seat. He chose to get out of his comfort zone. He chose to get out of what was familiar to him, walk across the aisle and embrace the murderer of his brother. That, my friends, is powerful. An amazing example of how Jesus has called his followers to live. I have one more story that I want to share with you. When I was 16, I was in a really bad place in my life. I had just wrecked a car that my parents had bought me and I needed money. And I was into all sorts of other things that were not healthy, that were destructive, that were, I was just a really rebellious kid at that time in my life. And so I had the idea of robbing my childhood best friend's home. We were so close, actually, that I knew the code to his garage door. And so one winter morning when I was 16 years old, I went to school and then I left early and I met up with a friend and we got to my childhood best friend's home. And I went around the back and I kicked in the window so it looked like I broke in through the basement. And then I went around, opened the garage, and we robbed his house. To make a long story short, we ended up, I ended up getting caught. Um, they ended up finding out it was me. And my parents ended up sending me to a Christian boarding school. You know, there was just, like I said, there was just so many things happening in my life that this was, I, I didn't want to do it at the time, but this was the best option for me. And so a couple months after this happened, I was in the boarding school and I wrote my best friend and his father, which was like, a, he was like a second father to me. We played video games together. We, we played catch together. He would take me to my games. I mean, we were close when, as I was growing up, we had drifted apart because I was going in a completely different direction than my friend was, but. I still had those fond memories. And so I wrote them a letter and I asked them for forgiveness. I said, sorry. I just opened up my heart to them and just shared. I shared my heart with them. And uh, I'll never forget. I got a letter back from my friend. And in that letter, he said, me and my dad totally forgive you. And then he said something that has stuck to me my whole life. He said, if robbing my house caused you to change your life around, then it was worth it to me and my dad. I mean, that was the most incredible thing. They didn't have to say, they could, they could have said, I don't want anything to do with you. You completely broke our trust and I don't want anything to do with you. They could have just not responded at all, but they chose to respond. Not only did they choose to respond, they chose to forgive me. They never pressed charges on me when they could have. And they completely forgave me. And they actually embraced me back into their lives. I spoke at my friend's wedding when he got married. They opened up their home to me and our relationship was restored. And it, it was just an amazing life-altering experience for me. Their kindness in that moment changed my life. Their perspective melted my heart and their embrace through that letter meant the world to me. And it was a catalyst for me following Jesus in my early years. You know, the best thing we can do for our souls, believe it or not, is to not retaliate in violence, anger, or bitterness, but to respond in love, grace, and forgiveness. And that is the truth. And I want to end with this last scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 24. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? 
But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. It is clear through the scriptures that the way of Jesus is not the way of retaliation, but the way of of love. It is clear. When we refuse to retaliate and instead absorb that pain and that evil, we are being like Jesus. Now, are there times when legal action is necessary? Absolutely. And that is up to our legal system to decide. But what is going on in our heart is between us and God. Are we trying to get revenge? Is in our heart a vengeful attitude or do we have a heart of forgiveness and a heart of empathy and compassion? Our heart posture should be one of radical, extravagant, generous love. According to the Apostle Peter, we are called to follow in his steps. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Even though he probably wanted to, even though he would have been justified to do so, he did not retaliate. Jesus, his way, his calling is for a love that is so radical that it shocks non-Jesus followers. A love that is so generous that it reflects the glory of God. A love that is so genuine that it penetrates even the hardest of hearts and that we are able to bring glory to Jesus and bring people into his kingdom. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.